Good morning. It's so great to be here this morning to be with Rick Bonfin Ministries and to be participating and teaching about the letter of Paul to the Galatians. I was so blessed when I was asked to join in this because I needed to hear the words of Paul myself. <laughs> it's a, a, a amazing letter, a letter that um, so influenced Luther and the Reformation to hear the message of Paul about Christ alone for salvation, which is a huge piece of this letter. And it's also been called, the letter to the Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty. And so it's a, a incredible letter to study. And we're doing this morning chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So I will want start in a minute, but I want to tell you in, at first uh, a little story. Uh, many years ago, my husband and I were out on a boat with a retired pastor named Ed. And Pastor Ed and his wife were taking us out on a local lake called Lake Winnebago. And we were going around the lake, and Ed was being himself, which is, he was a funny guy, but very wise. And he turned to us at one point out of the blue, and he just said, do you know why we go to church every week? And, of course, we have lots of answers to that question, but we wanted to hear what Ed would say. And what Ed said was that by midweek, and then certainly by the next weekend, we have forgotten everything we heard the week before. <laughs> he said, we need to go back and get refreshed. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we've forgotten everything we heard the week before. But I think we do, as human beings, have a tendency to forget. And even when we have seen amazing things from God, it fades over time and it needs to be refreshed and prompted and nurtured so that it stays alive with us. And that's what Paul is talking about, particularly as he opens this chapter. He's talking about remembering and about refreshment. And specifically, Paul is talking about remembering our relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's exhorting the people in Galatia, to remember the Holy Spirit and what a walk with the Holy Spirit is and should look like. And, you know, it's interesting the way Paul speaks at this point in his letter. It's like he's laid the groundwork. He's introduced what he's concerned about in this letter. And then all of a sudden he breaks loose at this point in chapter 3 to really give a powerful and important message to the people and he doesn't do it by saying, oh, let me tell you this so gently. He starts out by saying, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> and so Paul begins to really exhort them about something so critical to their lives and to the, to the church, to the world. This is an important thing to take note of because sometimes we um, tend to think that Christian messages should always be soothing and comforting and an arm around the shoulder and, and you poor thing, let me make you feel better. Sometimes we need to be knocked upside the head, right? <laughs> Sometimes we need the holy smackdown laid on us so that we get what is so important that we're missing. And that's what Paul does at this point in his letter to the Galatians. So, Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit and the importance of keeping that relationship alive. And I think verse 2 in this chapter 3 
really kind of sums up what Paul is concerned about and what he's talking about to the Galatians. He says, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And from this point on, this is Paul's mention of the spirit that begins the turn of what he wants them to really understand and grasp. And from this point on to the end of the letter, he mentions the Holy Spirit 16 times. Now understand we're in chapter 3 of Galatians, and there are only six chapters. And so he stresses the Holy Spirit and our relationship with him 16 times. He mentions Holy Spirit by name. Now, What had been happening in this region was Judaizers had been coming in. People who were coming in and teaching that in order to be a Christian, you also needed to be a good Jew. You needed to follow the rituals. You needed to have the the religious beliefs about food and other practices. Uh, One of the main things they were trying to do is have circumcision be something that would be insisted on with Christian believers. And so what their message was, what they were trying to teach in contrast to what Paul had been teaching is that you need Jesus and then you need all this other stuff. (laughs) You need Jesus and you need rules and regulations and things that they were being told to do in order to have salvation. And Paul wanted to say, no, Salvation is by Christ alone, by belief in him, and by belief in what he has done for us on the cross. Paul was insisting, you cannot alter this gospel, or it becomes a false gospel. It's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul had explained what the gospel is in as we have it, have the letter in the preceding chapter, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Paul wrote these words, and they're so important. They sum up the gospel. He said, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. If we have to earn or can earn our righteousness with God, then why did Christ get on that cross for us? And this is why we sense such a kind of a righteous anger, uh, 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 not at the people, but at the ideas, at the teaching that's coming among them. Paul is full of passion about this. He wants it known that the Galatians have forgotten. Remember, we forget easily. The Galatians have forgotten what the real gospel is, and they had drifted away from the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this passage, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. And I want to say first that that it's really remarkable because in the first five verses, Paul's talking about the relationship of the Galatians to the gospel, but it's filled with questions. Paul asks them five questions in those five verses. He asks them, and I'm going to name them first, and then we'll start looking verse by verse uh, what Paul had to say to the Galatians and to us. 
So here's his questions. He said, who has bewitched you? And then he says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? His third question is, and actually it's a two-parter. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And the fourth question is, did you suffer so many things in vain? And his fifth question is, does he who supplies the spirit to work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So verse one, let's start there and talk about each verse and see what Paul said specifically to the Galatians and to us. So, as I said, he starts out, he's not complimentary. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Those are two really powerful words, aren't they? To call someone foolish and then to say that someone has bewitched you. That's quite a term, isn't it? Bewitched means it's taken you and and pulled the wool over your eyes and tricked you and given you a teaching that isn't correct. Those are very strong terms. He tells them next in that same verse, he says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as being crucified. Now, what he means by that is that when he taught them, he taught them with such clarity about the cross, about Jesus being on the cross, about the meaning of that, that Christ is God the Son who came among us and substituted himself for us. We deserve that cross because of our sinfulness, the sinfulness of humanity. But Jesus became our substitute. He went on the cross, took the punishment we deserved. And so by grace, God rescued us from our sins, from this fallen world. By grace, he did it for us. He gave it to us. And Paul said, I made this so crystal clear for you that this is how God has chosen to work to rescue us. No other way and no plan B, no different way to get back reconnected to God, but through Christ and what he did on the cross and how he purchased forgiveness of sins for us by his death. And Paul said, you know, I explained this so clearly. It was portrayed. It was as if you had been there. You could see this exactly through my word pictures. And then Paul goes on in verse 2 and he asks this question. He says, in fact, he tells them, he says, this is the one thing I want to find out from you. I want to learn this one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard. And this is so critical. If we earn salvation by what we do, then Jesus Christ becomes irrelevant. And not only that, we begin to be people who are full of pride, who compete with each other, who boast about our works. Um, you know, this was the issue that was going on in the Corinthian community, wasn't it? In that community, people were uh, 
elbowing each other, trying to say, I'm more spiritual than you. I'm more connected to God than you. I'm more holy than you are. I'm more filled with the spirit than you are. If salvation is by works, that's what we descend into as a boastful and competitive community and one who's not living by the truth. Because the truth is salvation is holy through Jesus Christ and holy by grace, the grace of God. So Paul had to address this and just cut it off. You know, he had to say, you you are getting on the wrong track. You're listening to false teachers. You're getting carried away by something that isn't true. And in verse 3, he comes at it again. He says, once again, are you so foolish that you're going to go this direction and believe this? What's not true? He says, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Everything is by the Spirit. Even our willingness to take a look at Jesus Christ is by the Spirit. Paul wrote about that in his letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 12:3, it says, Therefore, I want you to know, to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus Christ in the first place. You know, a little later on in this chapter, and I'm not going to talk about it today. Someone else will teach from this part of chapter 3. But Paul says a similar thing to what I just read from 1 Corinthians. In verse 26 and 27 of Galatians 3, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Listen, before baptism with water, which we do once we believe in Jesus, and before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which fills us with the Holy Spirit, in the beginning, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, in essence, is baptizing us into the community of Christ. We believe in the uh, Methodist Church a, a concept of provenient grace, that the Spirit is working in your life even before you even pay attention to Jesus, even before you have the least interest in him. The Holy Spirit is working to lead you to Jesus, to lead you to that point where you can say Jesus is Lord. So the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is in every step of our faith journey to lead us to Christ, to lead us to baptism, to lead us to being filled with him. The Holy Spirit is at work in salvation and work in sanctification. All things, the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us to those things. So, for Paul to say, you know, are you going to finish this up by the flesh? (laughs) You started by the Spirit. Why are you returning to listening to men, to listening to your own voice, to doing things by yourself, to thinking you can accomplish the things of God by your own efforts? That's not how it works. All that we do, all that we are, is shaped and formed and brought to its maturity by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. 
He is our helper. So in verse 4, Paul continues and he says, Have you experienced so much in vain? If it really was in vain. And in some translations, in my NIV Bible, there's a note that says, you can also read this line as saying, have you suffered so much in vain? Now, I don't know the experiences of all the people, what they went through to become Christians and to remain Christians, but I'm imagining they were in a pretty hostile environment. So Paul is saying, did you go through all that just to give it up now? (laughs) You've been through so much. To come to believe in Jesus Christ and to be a follower of him. Why would you toss that away? But then there's that hopeful note where he says, um, but was it really in vain? His second question is a hopeful note, I think, because I think he's leaving the door open for the fact that maybe they'll come to their senses. They'll return to the biblical gospel. And they will um, cease listening to these false teachers. So was it really in vain? Maybe maybe it's going to be okay. I get that sense from what he's saying at that moment. And, you know, just as an aside for us right now, I think that we can really identify with this letter. We are in a season, an age right now where Uh, Many times we're intimidated by teaching that would make it more comfortable to be a Christian in this current society. You know, a lot of people, um, they get online and social media and they say something about Jesus and they may have a whole bunch of people come at them with attacks. Uh, And that's just in this country. The persecution in other countries is far worse. So there's a temptation sometimes to well, let's just amend my belief in Jesus and let's leave out this part. And let's leave out that part. And let's make it a little more malleable and acceptable to the society at large, to the woke crowd, to use that term. Let, let's make sure I don't get attacked. I mean, I don't want my address out there on the Internet and have people come to my house or, or hurt my business. And so we're tempted sometimes these days to dumb down our faith and to be quiet, not to say anything. And, you know, I personally have experienced it on social media myself, people saying something fairly innocent, but having a whole horde of people come and start uh, really passing around your information and saying things to you that could do great harm. Um, It's tempting then to get silent or to change what we say about Jesus Christ or to uh, not be ardent about our faith publicly. But that's a mistake. We need to still keep speaking the truth with love, always with love. But we still need to speak the truth. And here again, uh, this is a long aside, and I'll get back to the verses in a minute. But um, in order to have that kind of courage to be an obvious Christian, one who can change the lives of people around us and influence people around us, we need courage. Now, where does courage come from? It comes from God. It comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. It comes from having a constant relationship with the Spirit. That's what gives us fearlessness and truth 
and love for people, that we can bear with attacks. We can turn the other cheek. We can pray for people who act like enemies. We can do those things that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was just reading the other day, somebody posted something about Smith Wigglesworth, that great man of God, that general of God. And uh, what the person posted was that Lester Sumrall would stay with Smith Wigglesworth. They were friends. And he said, you know, every day Smith Wigglesworth gets up and he prays for a half hour in the spirit. He prays in tongues. And then he reads the Bible out loud. He quotes the Bible out loud for another half hour. And that's just the start of the day. That didn't mean that was all he did. But that was the way he started his day, was full of the spirit by praying in the spirit, full of the word by reading the word, by speaking it out loud, declaring it out loud. Listen, we need both. That's what makes us really strong is that we continue to try to nurture that relationship with the Holy Spirit and that we continue to be full of the word. To be just one or just the other isn't enough. We have to be word and spirit people. And when we do that, we get full of courage and full of witness you know you can't shut us up <laughs> and we're able to to let the world know how strongly we follow Jesus Christ and what a wondrous thing it is to do that all right so continuing on let's go to verse 5 in chapter 3 and Paul says so again I ask does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? How do we have this relationship with the Spirit? How do we start it and how do we maintain it? Well, I just mentioned about maintaining it. It's through praying in the Spirit and it's through staying strong in the Word. It's through opening ourselves up in prayer and saying, Holy Spirit, fill me again today. Come come out of the depths of my spirit and fill me and pour out through me and touch the world. That's maintaining. But how do we begin a relationship with the Spirit? Some people will tell you that it's, again, by works. They are like these teachers that we're trying to influence the Galatians. They'll say, here's all the things you need to do to be filled with the Spirit. And it causes anxiety among people. They think, wow, I I don't know if I can do all that. I don't know if I'm worthy to have the Holy Spirit in me. But listen, we can't begin to do a thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So you know the right prayer for receiving the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit, fill me. It's not a list of, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and then... I'll get the Holy Spirit. It's simply opening our hearts up and saying, Lord, I need you. And it's believing what you've heard, just as Paul said. I was in Brazil with Rick Bonfim Ministries, and Betty McKinney was teaching one particular night, and she was teaching about how to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And she read from John starting at uh, verse 37 in chapter 7, where Jesus um, said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as, as the scripture has said, 
Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant a spirit. And then Betty just turned to the people gathered there and she said, you know, it's pretty simple for asking to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, come, be thirsty, and drink. And that's it. When we do, as Paul says in this portion of the letter, believe what we've heard, then we simply come and present ourselves. We say, Jesus, I'm thirsty. Fill me. And then we drink of what he gives to us. Because Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. All right. I'm swiftly moving through the time I have with you this morning. So let me turn quickly to the remaining three verses in this portion. Because Paul takes a turn here. And he begins to talk about Abraham. Now this is very wise. For Paul to do because he's talking to people being influenced by Jewish teachers who are telling them to be Christians. They need to be also good practicing Jews. So Paul brings up at this point Abraham, the father, the patriarch, a name that has such meaning to people with Jewish connections. And he says in verse 6, he makes the switch and he says in verse 6, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's quoting Genesis 15, 6 there. And he's saying that Abraham, this important man in the faith of the Jewish people, Abraham, Abraham was considered righteous to God. Why? Because he believed God. He simply placed his faith in God and what God had told him, which was that he would be the father of a son who then would be the father of many nations. The nations would be blessed through Abraham. And so in verse 7, Paul goes on to say this. He says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So he's telling his listeners or his receivers of his letter that by having faith in God, faith in what God has done, faith in the way God has done it, faith in what God has said, by having faith, then one is righteous. It's not about works. It's not about us earning something on our own. It's about having faith in God and the way God has chosen to do things. And of course, For Paul, what he's saying, God has chosen to give us salvation through Christ. In verse 8, Paul says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce this gospel in advance to Abraham. And the gospel was this, that all nations will be blessed through you. Abraham had faith. And that was considered righteousness for him. And you can see this this statement, all nations will be blessed through you in places like this. Genesis 12, 3, Genesis 18, 18, and Genesis 22, 18. This is repeated, this idea, because it's a profound truth from God that all nations would be blessed by Abraham. And 
Paul concludes this little passage by saying, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, the man of faith. And by wrapping it up that way, Paul is saying faith is the critical thing for everything. Believing God, trusting God, that's it. Not works of the law, not doing it yourself, but believing God. Now, I want to just close by saying something to apply to our lives. Um, We receive everything by grace, as I've been saying. Salvation, sanctification, all things are by grace from God. The Holy Spirit is our leader, not people, not our own ideas. The Holy Spirit is our leader and our guide. To be people of the cross, And to be people of courage, we need the Holy Spirit. To walk in the Spirit takes nurturing our life with the Spirit. And I want to say this. Sometimes we can have doubts. Sometimes we can have experiences that so rough us up in life. You know, we go through things that are so hard. And we might be tempted then to think, well, God must be angry with me. He must have taken away my life with the Spirit. I I don't know how to interpret this, and I don't know how to get it back. I want to tell you that lots of people go through those things. Moments of doubt, moments of hardship where they feel distant from God. The way back is simply to do what you've always done to encounter God is to pray is to read the scripture it's just to look to him with trust I had the opportunity of having a wonderful guest on my podcast R.T. Kendall and I asked him I said you know when people feel like they're distant from God and they're missing it what do they do and R.T. said I I wish I could tell you something mysterious (laughs) he said but you know He says like this. He said, you know how children spell love? They spell it T-I-M-E, time with you. He said, you know, God's the same way. He loves time with you. So if you're feeling distant, simply do the simple things again. And the presence of God will start to feel stronger. You haven't lost anything. You just need to fan the flame, as Paul said one time to Timothy. What you received when hands were laid on you, fan that flame again. And it's just praying and saying, Lord, I need you. And it's reading the word and saying, Lord, I believe you. And the presence of God will intensify again for you. And so that's Galatians 3, 1 through 9. And thank you very much. It was good to be with you today. Queima a impureza do meu ser Estrela alva brilha em mim Brilha a luz que inunda o meu
Eu quero ser um testemunho 